0: We apologize in advance. Today's podcast contains some audio issues. We have been moving forward into a series and that we started last week, where we're talking about thinking biblically about work. There are all kinds of options and attitudes about finding information about work in our culture. We're called an information society, an information age, where at our fingertips is so much information, so much ready answers for the questions that we have. But the difference is that are we seeing that the information isn't worth it unless it's coordinated, unless it's put together with meaning? And that's really what we're looking at in these series, these Thinking Biblically series. We want to bring meaning to that information. We want to talk about what the why do we have to go to work? What was the point of work? Is it some necessary evil that we have to put up with? Or is there a greater purpose? What's gone wrong with work? And is there a way to fix this problem that we see in work? And these are the questions that we're kind of addressing as we go along in this series. Last week we talked about the purpose of work. And if you missed that, you can check out our podcasts. And what you'll see is that God has an intention with with work. He had a good intention. In fact, what we realize is we work, not because it's some kind of evil that's been imposed upon us, but that we work because we're made in God's image. God works, so we work. And that means there's dignity in our jobs, whether it's in church or out of church, there's no sacred or secular. We covered all these pieces and we were intending to just show that God has a great purpose for work. And maybe some of you guys actually went off to work the next morning or the next evening, and you're like, I got a new perspective. This is intended by God. God's with me. He works. This is great. And five minutes in, you just ran flat into the wall of the problems called work. There was the fight. There was the boss. There was that situation again. And it was just like, ah, this is not good. What, what's going on here? What's gone on with Work. When I ask that question, I immediately think of my house. And um, what what I mean by that is when I go home, when my wife is there with the kids and they've come home or we've been gone, whatever it goes on, when we invariably come home, we're always going to find something broken. I got a beautiful older girl and three rambunctious boys. And those boys figure out how to break everything. We came home today. And I, I swear, there was books broken in bath and showers and... Ger- I was, just, it was Things were broken just all over the place. It was ridiculous. And I realized, kids break things. This is annoying. Anybody else have kids that broke things? Do you guys go through that? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. I feel your. Thank you for feeling my pain. And, and, but then I came to realize that uh, when I was 16, I finally had that one day. Do you remember the first day you got to drive? Does anybody, you guys remember that first day you had your license? You're like, I'm gonna drive. This is so cool. So I had just got my license. I was 16 years old. I was ready to go. And I was Jones. I had that like, I gotta drive. I gotta drive. I gotta drive. And my parents had gone to Blockbuster. You remember the old Blockbuster is down on Lincoln? Uh, if, you, if you lived in Corona, there was this Blockbuster there. I'm like, oh, I gotta drive. We had a couple of VHSs left. This, and I said, can I take these back? They got a drop box. I can just drive up, drop them in. Can I do it? Can I do it? And they're like, Sure, I harassed him long enough. I got in the car. I'm thinking, I'm got freedom. You know, I'm, I'm driving my, my parents' minivan. Yes, I'm styling. And I'm on my way out to, um, to this blockbuster. I finally get there. I don't know what psycho built that parking lot, but you, re- you remember that parking lot? It was, it was like compact car for compact car. I mean, it was tiny parking spaces. And I pull up in my minivan and going, I'm going to park this thing. And I'm turning around the curb and suddenly I hear, I crumple the side of my parents' minivan first time out driving and, and be on the corner of some guy's bumper. And I'm just like, I'm dead meat. You know, I, I'm just feeling awful. I'm looking behind me. There's plenty of space to park, and I choose the one between the slots, right? And so I get out. I turn everything. I come back and home, and I tell them. They were so gracious to me. But in all this, I began to realize that when I was little, I broke little things. When I was a teenager and a young adult, I break some bigger things. And when we're adults, we break really big things. We're not done breaking stuff. We break our our families. We break our relationships. We break work. And we're still breaking stuff. just got bigger. And what's interesting then is that when we start to ask this question, what's gone wrong with work? I want to tell you that there were some people that broke it for us. And those people, we can find out really what's happened in the book of Genesis. And so if you'll go with me there, go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be kind of diving into this, looking at, looking at this chapter. And if you've never been through the Bible, this is a key place. You've got to stop here and study this chapter because this chapter affects the rest of the Bible. It's right at the beginning, and it's got a lot of information in it, but it's technically called the fall. And just to set it up for you guys, Adam and Eve have been created. They've been put in paradise. And they called to work paradise, to care for it. And and so they have a purpose and a reason to exist. And there was one rule given to them. Not ten laws, not ten commandments, not 467 laws, none of that. One rule. You think we can handle one rule, right? Don't eat from that tree. Not all the other ones, just one tree, one rule. It's that simple. And yet, Satan starts playing games in the garden. It says in verse 1 now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We we can eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, disobeying God. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. He's standing right there in this whole situation. And so he takes and he eats. And he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is how I know I'm not working with the junior hires anymore. They didn't, we didn't giggle when I said naked. So, which is the reality when you do that. So here these guys, are sitting there. Adam and Eve are sitting there. And this is not the picture. It's not like they just pluck it off. They're like, oh, this is really good, honey. She's got her eyes closed, not even thinking, here, take it. And he eats it, and they go... Ah! Ah! You know, it's not like suddenly they come to this realization. No, something else is going on. This term they were, that they realized they were naked refers back to the previous chapter. Look at the last verse of the previous chapter. It, says, it sets it up. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not, what? Ashamed. They weren't ashamed. As something happened when they took that fruit, disobeyed God, and ate it, what occurred in the human heart is they were separated from themselves. Something was broken. In fact, what we're going to see is the entire world was broken. As we disobeyed God, sin came into our lives, and suddenly what came into us was not feeling good. It was shame, guilt. Something was off now. Something was uneasy. I didn't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't want you to see me. Uh I see that you see me. I don't want you to see me. And so nakedness is always a picture of being seen perfectly, clearly, and being perceived for who you truly are. And so what happens is this begins a an unraveling of the world and God's purpose is an intent because man who was supposed to represent God now decides they're gonna represent themselves and things start. To fall apart. This fallenness is still here today. It still exists with us, even as Christians. And what we need to do then is we need to acknowledge the fall. And acknowledge that work is broken and that it's been broken badly. But we need to accept this and not have unhealthy focuses. Foci, something like that, some one of those two words. And we're not supposed to have an unhealthy focus on these various things. So I'm going to give you guys four unhealthy focuses that can come out of the fallenness of man and things that can affect our work badly. So I want to start off the, tonight with this with this one. The first unhealthy focus is that we use work for our identity or distraction. We use work for, our, for, for the way that we view ourselves or, or a way to kind of get away from ourselves is really what I'm trying to get at. Look, look at this when, when we see this. It says that their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Underwear was the first garments ever made. And I just find that funny. But the point is simply they're sitting here going, guys, we're messed up. And now I don't feel right inside of me. Something's off. And so we start to seek a way to fill that hole, a way to find our identity again. And many Americans have chosen work as a way to find that identity. One of the ways I I guess it's a good illustration of this is if you go to India, and I was listening to Ravi Zacharias again today, and this is where I got this from. If you go to India and you ask somebody, you know, you want to meet somebody, you tell them your name, you say hello, and you find out what's your name, and then you find out who's your father. That's the second most important question because you know because that relates to the family then they then the third question they ask is where do you live more about where you live is more important to them what town you come from where you come from was more about their identity as americans we walk up to somebody and say hey how you doing what's your name and they tell you your name and then what's our next question we ask what do you do for a living what do you do what's your job Because we as Americans identify ourselves with our work. It tells us about you if you tell me what kind of work you do. I don't know what it tells us about each other. But it's very deep into our mindset that our identity is locked into our work. Now last week we did say that yes, identity is a part of our work. But there are some people who have come to the place that their title and their job is so important to them. So wedded into their being that to lose it is to lose their identity. To lose their job, to lose what they do, is to put themselves in a world where they aren't who they thought they were anymore. That's why we see men with midlife crises. They run around going, I don't want to do this work anymore. I don't know really who I am. I've always done this, but I don't know if this is who I am. And somehow this who I am question is resolved by what I do, what I own. There's all kinds of ways men have answered this, but the same thing goes true for a lot of women. And I've seen it in a lot of moms. Moms will have babies. And the babies become the center of their world. One guy said to me, it was like when the babies came, I became just, a, just some appendage that was a side. That was the husband talking. Because the wife focused so in on the children. Everything was about the children. She was a mom. And what happens when you're a mom is that inevitably you're setting yourself up for a crisis. Because as a mom, eventually those kids are going to leave. And when those children leave, in our house, we plan on having them leave, right? I mean, you don't want to raise kids not to leave. You don't want them to just get up and go, oh, you know, I'm staying here till I'm 50. Right now it's cute when my 10-year-old says, I never want to leave the house. I'm sitting there, yeah, that's how you should be. But then we lean down and say, you know what you get to do when you're 18? You get to move out. Isn't that cool? My kids look at me like, no, that's not cool, Dad. And one lady told me later, she's like, yeah, and then you tell them, and never move back. You got that? Now, you'll get, now we'll go through a sound check real quick. This will be fun. There we go. All right. Can you guys hear me now? Good. Let's, let's see how this goes. Get away from my beard here. Invariably, what then occurs oftentimes is that mothers, when their children leave, find themselves in a situation where they're, they're wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do? Where do I go? How do I live? Where, wh- 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 I've been only doing this one thing. How, where do I go from here? It's been addressed in many cases with, with, with these situations for men and women that honestly the problem is we've set our focus of our identity on our job, not on the Lord. Obviously, we're made in his image. We're supposed to reflect him. Yet what oftentimes happens is we can so easily, because of the disjointedness in our soul, the discomfort in our hearts, seek to fill that with something that gives us fame and satisfaction. And so we strive for fame. We strive for satisfaction in order to accomplish these pieces. And really, we're going to have another problem here in a second. That is what is the opposite of what God's told us to do. Now, the other problem is that it leads to distraction. Yes, we are broken inside. And the biggest trouble that we have is facing this. It's called silence. Some of you guys are whispering to each other like, I'm not comfortable with the silence. You know, it's like, now that's the point. Many of us are at the place in our lives where we honestly, we sit in the car and you can't last but a minute until you got to turn the radio on. You may even have it on before you get out. We've got our iPods now. We're walking and we can't hear the, the noises of the road. We put them in our ears and we walk. We do all kinds of stuff to avoid silence. In the Christian, ancient Christian world, silence was the place where you sat down and you meditated and you focused and you faced yourself. But we can't face ourselves. Something's broken. It's unnerving to be by ourselves in the silence. Silence. And so many men and many women who feel massively insecure with their children or massively insecure in their marriages oftentimes find themselves working to distraction. They go off to go do something just to distract themselves. So I don't have to feel this anymore. So I don't have to think this anymore. So I can get away from something. Just give me a job to do. And when this happens, we're literally waiting. We're just kicking problems down the road and we're not letting ourselves focus in on what really is going on. We are broken. There's guilt. There's struggle. We're naked before ourselves and we can't clothe it. So we got to distract ourselves or we got to pick something else out that makes us feel better. And so I just want to challenge you guys. Maybe your work fits one of these categories for yourself. You're using it to distract yourself or you bought in too deeply to your work so that it's almost clearly bothering you and your identity. But the second unhealthy thing that can come along is the unhealthy focus that we view work as meaningless so we quit or we party. Check this out. We continue on with Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve sewed the fig leaves together. They made themselves loincloths, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now this is unusual because it seems that God does this often. It doesn't seem like this was a brand new thing. Like they're like, it's God. What's he doing here? No, in fact, it seems like they, they, this is a regular occurrence that God would show up and do this. And, and so suddenly they hide. And so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Now note this, anytime you read God asking a question in the biblical text, so far as I've seen, it's usually God already knows the answer and he just wants you to confess because you did something wrong. It's very interesting as you read it out. Whenever he asks a question, there's usually an an insinuation that you're guilty for something. So if God ever shows up asking you questions, be scared. Be very scared. It's, it's, it's not good. Answer him rightly. But this is what goes on. He says, where are you? And he said, I heard, this, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Right there in that sentence is the seedbed of human psychology. And this is the beginning of what we can really do is look inside of the human soul and say, there it is. Why are you, what was going on? Well, I heard the sound of you, you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I'm naked. I realize that I'm guilty. I'm ashamed. There are parts in all of us that are insecure, that we're hiding. Thoughts that we'd never want to share with any other human being float through our minds regularly and we're ashamed of them. Or we have a space and an activity in our life that we have just said, no, nah, I don't really want people to know about that. And we're ashamed, naked. And we see the presence of other people made in the image of this God coming towards us and we're afraid. I hope they never find out about this about me. I hope that they never discover this. I'm, I'm scared. And we hide. And so we make amazing Instagram posts to make our lives look great. And we write down great, great ideas on our Facebook pages and, and prompt ourselves. And we even fake our authenticity on purpose so that people just don't see that I'm naked. And I'm scared And so I'm hiding. So I dress well and I make myself look good and I talk well and do everything I can to make sure that you know that I've got it all put together and inside we're crumbling. This is human psychology. Everybody does it in some way or another. And when it comes to work, then what happens is this, this symbolizes something. You see, we turned away from God. This isn't the God of the, of the Americans who's like, hey guys, wh- oh, you sinned? That's okay, come here, give me a squishy. You know, that's the God of the American. I'm talking about the God of the Bible. The holy God who's called a, a flame of fire and that he destroys that which is sinful. And we go... I know I'm sinful, I feel broken, I've got guilt, I'm scared to reveal myself, and here comes the holy God. What's he going to do to me? Okay, I'm going to hide. And this is the very whole situation that's going on. He hides. We turn and run from God, and when we do that in our sin, what happens is the gates of heaven are barred shut. So say, well, why? Because heaven is the locality of God. You see, remove God from heaven, it's no longer heaven. Heaven is heaven because God is in heaven. Because God is present there with his blessing. Remove God from heaven, you get another location, it's called hell. And when we run from him and expect to get into heaven, we're not going towards heaven at all. God is the presence of heaven. And so we have a literal separation from God that's occurred. And when that occurs and heaven is barred shut, your work becomes meaningless. We established at the end of last week that when the resurrection comes, the work that you and I endeavor to do today becomes something that will birth its way into eternity. It isn't worthless. It's eternal. Unless we've been separated by our sin from God, then our work becomes worthless. If there is no God, and I'm making all this stuff up, your work is still worthless because you're just in a universe that's going to keep going until one day it just goes and dissipates into what they call the heat loss death. There are so many people striving and running of things to, to make a name for themselves, to be, to be popular, but their work is meaningless. This is exactly what Solomon was getting to in his book on Ecclesiastes as he writes an entire treatise on uh, life without God. He says, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity, pointlessness. I'm gonna work my tail off. I'm gonna build all this great stuff and do all these things and I'm gonna leave it to somebody else. What are they gonna do with it? Probably nothing. Probably ruin it. Probably going to fall apart. Let me give you a good example. Where are the seven wonders of the world? They're ruins. They're ruins. They were handed off and handed off and handed off. And while man prided themselves on these amazing feats, they're ruins. I mean, man. To have a famous name is like everything we're told. If you can get your name in the history book, then you're eternal, like Hammurabi, you know? And only a few of you guys are going like, I know who Hammurabi is. The rest of you are going like, I think I heard of that in like elementary school or something. I have no idea what you're talking about. Famous kings who did famous things are unknown by us today. Who are we to think that famous people of today are even gonna be thought of 2,000 years from now? it's pointless if there is no god face the fact your work is worthless if you have no relationship with god work becomes pointless and ultimately what you're going to run into then is simply the reality that it's all futile it's all fruitless it's all meaningless so quit stop working What's interesting is there's a lot of people who have, who have who've come to this realization that life is meaningless, work is meaningless, and they're still living in their parents' home. Failure to launch has nothing to do with the failure of an education, or the failure of anything else. It's a failure to realize meaning. Show me a man who understands his meaning and is driven towards his goal that God has given to him, and he may be in his home, but he's got a reason he's there. Most of them launch on purpose to go seize what God's called them to do. I believe there's a large chaos in our society of meaninglessness where we're floating along, not sure where we're going, what we're doing, how we get there, and we just don't know anymore. Why work? When we deal with the homeless people many years ago, you would talk to them and horrible, catastrophic things occurred in their life to the point where they just gave up on the meaning. And ultimately, as they came to that lack of meaning and it just fizzled out, they had to fill it with something. And so many people, when they ultimately fill it, they end up filling it with things that give them a pseudo meaning, give them pleasure like drugs, give them direction like games. Uh, video game addiction, all this kind of stuff is real for many people who are seeking to make meaning of their lives and their work because we realize it's meaningless. In fact, there's more people than you realize who know it's meaningless. They just go to work, and they go, well, why are you working? Pfft, so I can get to the party. We call them weekend warriors, right? Work all week long to get to the weekend to have the party, to, to, to throw the party, to get drunk, to go to the nightclubs, do what they can, spend their time watching their entertainment. doing what. And this is the young life we're set. This is how life should be. Move to the city and be a weekend warrior, why? Because, well, ultimately, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. There's no real reason to all this stuff. We can do this if we want, but it's ultimately going to lead to nothing. This was, the, this was the philosophy of a woman named Catherine Alsdorf who, who helped write with Tim Keller a book on the th- theology of work. And she lived this life, believed this thing, knew her life was meaningless, but it kept gnawing at her and gnawing at her. And finally, she came to the realization, I am, I, I'm this successful person with all this stuff and all these accolades, but they're all going to be gone. What am I going to do? And in her wandering and her searching, she came to know Jesus Christ. And suddenly, all of her work took new hue and meaning to where she realized her calling was to help other people discover their meaning for their work and helped open an institution out of their church that dealt with the very concepts of Christians at work. And so if you feel, uh, guys, we shouldn't feel this. We have a connection with God. We're no longer separated by sin. We've been brought back together through Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. And so what happens is you should begin to have new meaning in work. It's not pointless. There should be reasons to party, but there should be reasons to party called We've just done great things for God. Guess what we're doing right now? Ought to be a party. Sunday ought to be the party celebrating our God who was resurrected from the dead, brought us back to life, and has given us meaning to our lives. We ought to be here pumped up, celebrating, having fun, throwing cake, doing whatever we need to do to praise God. This is not supposed to be like, oh, holy Jesus, we're so glad, joy. That's not the point of church. It is a celebration of life of resurrected life, unfallen life. So where's our focus? Is it on the broken meaninglessness or is it on the fa- fact of the powerful God? We'll get to how the gospel changes this stuff next week, but I just want to point that out. Let's, let's hit the third unhealthy focus we dive into. We see work is about ourselves and we begin to use others. Check out how this continues on. God continues with Adam in verse 11. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, and I quote, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I think he mumbled the last line there. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And he goes to the serpent, What is this you've done? <laughs> That's about it. We call that blame shifting. And, you know, that's what kids do. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just left my, the bathroom situation in my house where my kids had done all this junk. And I said, did you do this? And my daughter goes, no. And she's got this look like, I'm lying to you. And I'm like, you're lying to me. No, Nate did it. I said, you helped, didn't you? Yes. Blame shift. I'm going to put it on him. I didn't do Nothing. Us adults, we're better than this. We know we don't do this, right? <laughs> Been to work lately? Oh, it's that department's fault. They messed up on the specs. It's not that fault. I did that. They're being irresponsible. Oh well, yeah, but blah, blah 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 blah. And everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else. Nothing's getting done. Everybody's getting mad. Blame shift. You see, when we see the fall enter into work, it become, the work ceases to be about serving each other, caring for each other, lifting each other up, and doing one thing together becomes all about the self-fulfillment, all about me, all about my stuff. And so what goes on is that work gets broken in a new way and we start to look at people and we start to use people. This is a very big danger, especially if you're, if you're a type A personality. See, a type A personality can get so driven, so moving, so fast that they begin to get so focused on their goal, their excellence, their their vision, their mountain that everybody else can be damned, we're gonna get here. And they just push everybody else off and they stop treating human beings as humans. They start treating them as cogs and wheels to accomplish their personal desires. James says something about this. He says, hey, guys, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your own passions. And so even in our relationship with God, God goes, I'm not going to answer that. You're going to use that for your own desires, your own evil desires. And there's this sense that in corporations, you can get people who are like, we're going that way. And somebody else goes, I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. And then suddenly they're all fighting against each other about which way is the right way and how they're going to do that. And they sit on boards and gripe and complain about each other all the time. They go in multiple directions because the person's going, we're going that way and you're going to listen to me. And everybody else is going, I don't want to go that way. And so they fire that person. They pull in somebody else who goes, yes, sir, we'll go that way. Because they really want to keep their job. And you end up with a bunch of yes people. It's just a mess because we're after selfishness. And we need to check ourselves. A great way to check yourself is simply to ask yourself, if you had to fire somebody, do you concern yourself with their family as well? Because if it just becomes an easy transaction, it's just business. There actually may be a problem with selfishness, you think? We need to check ourselves. There's a second way that we need to watch out about this. And this, hit, this is hitting more of the younger generation. The advent, of, the advent of the technology world and the things that are going on has brought about a lot of people, when I talk to them, or business owners who just get frustrated hiring the younger generation. This is, I'm not trying to offend you guys. I'm just telling you what I've heard. For some reason, they seem to want, they say, to have jobs that promote themselves. You ever thought about what's going on in our culture? Anybody else disturbed by the concept of the selfie? Am I the only guy who's like, that's just weird. Check me out in the toilet. Check me out at the the mall. Check me out here. Check me, 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 me. You know, it's like it turns into this like me fest. You know what we used to call that? narcissism it's a technical disorder and all of us laugh we're like yeah that's ridiculous you know those stinking phones you know, selfies. Uh, we used to stare at ourselves in the mirrors guys so let's not get too uh, too up on this vanity has always been around it's just in a new vogue And what's going on is a younger generation has motivated themselves and moved themselves to being all about my self expression. A joke that came around to me was from a friend of mine who lives in this generation. He's like, I don't get it. And I think he posted this actually. He said, I don't get it. Why do all my friends and all my generation want to be tattoo artists, hairstylists, or photographers? And I started thinking through the youth group list. I'm like, wow, that's really accurate. It was kind of funny. Obviously, it's overblown, and I'm being a little facetious about it, but we need to be warned. There's a level of vanity, and there's a level of self-centeredness that people are now using their jobs like like it's an accessory. And so they don't work at their jobs. They'll represent God well at their jobs because it's all about their self-expression. It's all about what fits them and promotes them. And it's not about the betterment of society and the good that we've been called to do and be as Christians. And there's a danger there. We need to watch it and watch yourself. Are you falling into the fact that, hey, we have separated ourselves from other people, so this is all about us. It's about my vision, about my dream, about my direction, about my stuff, about my expression, whatever it is. There are ways that every generation has expressed this. And we need to be careful about this false focus, this unhealthy focus. It brings quarrels. It brings destruction. Well, the fourth one is this. That work is fruitless, so we end up striving hard or giving up. And fruitless is different than meaningless. So let's look at this. It begins this way. The Lord God talks to the serpent in verse 14 and 15. and Then he goes on to the, verse 16 to talk to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And all the women said, thanks a lot, Eve. Um, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Right here is a disjointedness in the very family unit. There is pain with children, and there is pain with the husband and the wife. In fact, that just spreads out to the fact that there's pain between men and and male and females. There's, uh, there's There's the sex war beginning right here. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you and pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so God curses the man from where he came from, the dust, and curses the woman where she came from, from humanity. And in the the ancient world, this is not true for the modern world, he curses them in their work area. In the ancient world, the woman was the, her work was found predominantly in the home. She was the master of the home. She was the one who raised the children, set their ethics and morals, guided them in education, set the home up and made it run, and was the master of the home. Whoever was in the home, they listened to the woman. The man was given the world of the field and the world of politics and economics. They were out there to rule the world, and they were set out there. And This is how the world was divided in the ancient times. And What God said is, you're going to be cursed there in the field, and ladies, you're going to be cursed in your place in the home. Now, we all face the curse in both locations. But what God did is he said this. He said, now for the first time, they're both going to be what we technically like to call labor. You ever thought about that? A lady goes into labor to bring her child forth, and the man goes off to labor in his work. And the reason they're the same term is because of this chapter, that we're both cursed. And the horrible thing is, guys, it can lead you to one way or the other because there's gonna be, be thorns and thistles in the, in the garden of your home and in the garden of your work. It's guaranteed in a fallen world. There would be, hear me again, there are going to be thorns and thistles in the garden of your home and the garden of your work. And the danger is that we could end up striving hard for Perfection. We think somehow if we just clean these weeds out and keep them out, our children will be perfect. They will never do anything wrong. We will have the perfect, we found the perfect formula. And some of us are driving ourselves crazy trying to find a perfect formula that's going to make perfect children and perfect home lives. There will always be weeds in the garden of your home. Always. It's a fallen world. You're going to work and you're working hard and you're driving hard and you're making sure people do things right and you're trying to find that perfect structure that nobody can break. It's foolproof. It's never gonna fall apart and guys are never gonna fight again. We're gonna accomplish everything. You're never gonna get there. Stop striving so hard because there's gonna be weeds in the garden of your work. And a lot of us are driving ourselves crazy and some of us have gotten to the place where we're like, this is impossible and we've just given up and the weeds are going like crazy in your home. God, God didn't say stop working. He didn't say just let the weeds grow and destroy everything. No, it is in between there that is called labor, toil. We gotta keep removing the weeds if we're gonna see a cultivated life. But it's never gonna be Perfect. So don't drive yourself into the ground, giving yourself heart attacks and making yourself a problem because you think somehow striving harder is going to achieve some perfection. It won't. But don't give up and just throw your hands up because that will lead to greater destruction as the weeds will take over and destroy your family will destroy your work. And so if we have these misbalances, we need to see them, these lack of focuses. I want to challenge you guys to look back through these four Yes, work is broken, but God's redeeming it. And that's what I'm excited to point us to is the redemption that we're going to get to next week. With gospel has radically transformed work for us. That this fallen stuff exists, yes, we need to be aware of these unhealthy focuses. Be aware of them, mark them down. And what I'm asking you to do this week is bring them before the Lord and begin to repent from them. Because if you know Jesus Christ, he has sealed this and he is reversing the fall in our lives. And it's time to enjoy that, to celebrate in that. But We gotta have the right focus. So that's my challenge to you guys this week. And I hope that you'll take it. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, I ask that you would just bless this group of workers, men and women who are going into the workforce, going home to work, all the pieces that we have to do is we balance so many problems, so many issues as fallen human beings. I pray, God, that you would just enable us and strengthen us as we face that crazy world called work. God, if we have any unhealthy focuses, would you reveal them to us? And would you help us deal with them knowing that you should be our primary focus That what we do ought to be done for you and to love other people? And so lead us, we pray, from here, and we ask that you would bring us to a healthy focus on you in Jesus' name. Amen.